0: Welcome to the Cutting the Gordian Knot podcast. Today, we are at episode number six. This one is called Sell Your Organs, Save a Life. We will be making the case that there should be a legal market for live human organs. Yes, you have heard that right. Um, This is actually one of many articles that I wrote and sent into my um, state government, some of which I talked over with people um this one was absolutely not enacted but it really should have been so let's begin the theory point one a shortage occurs when a product has its price capped below the part the point of market equilibrium point two a black market will emerge in situations where sale of a desired product is forbidden and point three In cases where a product can be legally given but not sold, the vast majority of transfers will be between friends and and family. So those are just the three points I want to have in mind. And here is the problem we have at hand. There is a soberingly large shortage of kidneys, liver lobes, bone marrow, and other organs or parts thereof. The cause is state and federal law prohibiting sale of organs predictably Black markets have emerged to meet demand, and any legitimate transfers are almost exclusively between family and friends. The cost of life for the kidney sale prohibition alone amounts to 4,500 people per year in the U.S. This is one and a half times greater than the lives lost on 9-11. This is 13 times higher than the average casualties each year in the war in Iraq. The monetary cost in the U.S. is $60 billion per year. If this cost was a state, it would be the 43rd largest economy beating out states like Alaska, Maine, and Vermont for GDP. The average wait time for a kidney is five years. For those lucky enough to receive one, if you get one, there is a 50% chance it will be from a deceased donor, making it much inferior in operation and at risk of complete failure. Despite organs on waiting lists being, quote, free, it is the wealthy that will disproportionately receive them. Their network of friends and family have a much greater likelihood of being healthy enough to donate. Furthermore, people in this network are more likely to have the financial ability to take off time from work and pay the peripheral costs associated with donating an organ. Here is the proposed bill. Hospitals are permitted to act as intermediaries in the buying and selling of any human organs for the purpose of transplantation unless the sale would mean death or substantial harm to the donor. Medicare and Medicaid patients may choose to receive a live organ in place of dialysis or other alternative interventions for the purpose of transplantation. And here is what we will have as a result if such a thing was enacted. First... The market would match the supply of kidneys to the demand no more waiting virginia which is where i was pitching this bill will save lives worldwide while injecting tens possibly hundreds of billions of dollars into the state economy each year due to its unique status as the only place in the free world to purchase an organ next people don't have to watch their loved ones slowly die and will have massive savings in medicare and medicaid Thousands of donors will be better off financially and will have saved a life. The bottom line. Each day that this prohibition stands, 12 people die on the kidney waiting list and many more on similar lists for other organs. If this market system makes you uneasy or offends your unique sense of morality, you should choose to not participate in the new market. What you shouldn't be allowed to do is choose certain death or bankruptcy and misery for thousands of people and their loved ones by letting current law be in force. In the same way that a state can legalize the sale of marijuana, while it is still federally prohibited, Virginia, or any state, has the power to make this type of exchange legal within the state and begin saving lives worldwide. Frequently asked questions and objections. Response 1. But doesn't paying people to donate pervert the donation in some way? Answer. People have a right to use their body to save other people's lives. This is not prohibited when somebody joins the police or military to protect people. Instead, it's applauded, and for good reason. The fact that these people take on risk to themselves and are paid compensation in no way diminishes from the work that they do. It would be foolish to no longer pay police or military to protect us. No one would be able to afford to be a cop or a soldier, despite their intentions. Likewise, paying donors to take risks to themselves and bear hardships to save others does not diminish their actions. Second answer. The donation is a kidney. The kidney doesn't know if it was bought, given, or dropped from the sky. It filters blood and saves people from certain death. How again is the kidney perverted through sale? Next. In one hand, put this nebulous feeling your question poses. In the other hand, put somebody's life. If the human life doesn't outweigh your feelings, then please use at least one of those hands to slap some sense into yourself. Response two, the person who needs the kidney could be extorted for untold sums, sums of money by the person who has the kidney. It should remain illegal to have a market which is essentially purchasing human life. Answer, maybe that could be true if only one person had the kidney that you need, However, there are 325-odd million people in our nation alone. Almost all of them have two working kidneys, and they only need one. There is not one monopoly supplier in this scenario. There are billions in the world, hundreds of millions in the nation, and tens of millions in the state. Answer. Drinking water is necessary for life. Instead of having five years to live, you only have about three days without water. Does this mean that Walmart can extort people for all of their money to get a gallon of bottled water? Of course not. There are multiple suppliers, and the one with the best quality and price mix gets the business. Next answer. Products uh, necessary for human life must be provided by the market. Imagine if it became illegal to sell food because it is necessary for human life. Farmers would have no resources sent to them for farming and no economic incentive to produce food. They would only be able to make enough food for their own survival, and maybe that of their friends and family. Black markets would emerge, lots of people would die, and the whole idea that human life is valued more in such a system is shown to be laughable. Sound like the organ market? You bet. Response number three. Okay then, with so many suppliers, the suppliers would be taken advantage of. Poor people would have their kidneys ripped from them for pennies on the dollar. Answer: In any transaction where both parties, with full knowledge of the costs and benefits, agree to exchange a product for money, both products, both parties benefit, and value is created. This article, this argument, is predicated on the the idea that poor people are stupid and inept. Answer: In the current scenario, that same poor person could donate an organ for no money. In fact, they are encouraged to donate. It would be incredibly generous and selfless of them to do so. In the market scenario, they get this moral benefit plus a financial one. If they are poor, then the marginal utility of a dollar is much greater to them than a person of greater means. They are receiving substantial value. Otherwise, they would not seek to make that exchange. Answer. With kidneys, for example, there is no difference in the average lifespan for a healthy donor, whether they donated or not. So how exactly are they taken advantage of? Answer, there are at least 4,500 potential buyers. This is actually a pretty thick market, so no, they won't be taken advantage of. Response number four, this would cause current donors to instead charge for their organs. Really? Most all donors are friends and family of the recipient. Would you charge your mom? brother, best friend, son, cousin, for an organ that would save their lives, that would make for an awkward Thanksgiving dinner. Response number five, but the poor people couldn't afford an organ. Answer, polls indicate that a reward of only $10,000 per donor would be enough to raise the supply of donors to meet demand and eliminate the waiting list. My estimate indicates that that the number is a little bit closer to 33000 I base that off of the very few uh, places where there are sales. I think Iran does it right now. So I, I took what uh, balances the market there, and I just basically put it into U.S. dollars, and it's a little over 30000 Okay, nevertheless, this is far below the cost of even a single year of dialysis at $89,000 a year. <laughs> Remember, the average wait time is five years. So without factoring in medical cost inflation or financing costs, this is $445,000 in dialysis costs. When adding in costs like lost wages, disability, cost of government welfare programs for low income earners, and accompanying costs that could include um, home health care or transportation, the number is within spitting distance of a million dollars per person. If the poor can't pay for an organ, the state could afford to subsidize this Many times over, just with the money saved in welfare or gained in additional tax revenue. 33000 is a lot cheaper than a million. Response 6. But what about the good people in dialysis clinics that would be out of work? What about the other medical staff that would be unemployed when they're no longer needed? This is one of the biggest employers in my district, after all. Answer. Fun fact. Human life is more important than both jobs in your district and your political popularity. Second answer. Sure, those particular jobs would be lost. However, displaced labor is the measure of of efficiency. When the agricultural revolution happened, farmers lost jobs. When the printing press was developed, well-paid scribe jobs were lost. In such cases, the standard of living of the whole rose, and with newly freed up labor, new jobs became available. In this case, it is extremely obvious where this will occur. Being the only place in the free world where organs can be legally purchased and safely transplanted, there would be a massive demand for medical staff to perform the job. Okay, that is a fun and controversial article, but I really don't think it should be. Um, I get that there's an initial aversion to the idea of, of selling organs, but again, we always have to think, compared to what? and then compared to what is pretty awful. I mean, I don't know if you caught all the stats, but five-year average waiting list, we have about almost 5,000 people die. Um, Liver lobes are a slightly smaller problem. I think like 3,000 people die every year um, in need of a liver lobe, and you can absolutely donate one of your lobes and live a happy life. So the costs are simply enormous. I mean, when the costs themselves are bigger than seven state economies, (laughs) and uh, when the toll of life is so enormous, um, I just don't see any reason why we shouldn't do this. And most of the arguments against it are equally true of dialysis clinics. Well, you're trafficking in human life. You're charging people in order to live for another. Well, okay. Well, that's what the alternative does too. But this restores somebody to health and doesn't just treat the sickness. This should be an absolute no-brainer. And again, just to reiterate, it's totally fine to compensate people to put their bodies at risk to save another. I mean, I think one of the first responses was about, um, you know, police, uh, firemen, soldiers. We respect these people and we pay these people because their bodies are put in harm's way. So I don't see how that doesn't map onto um, donors. I think that's... um, A heroic thing, even if you were paid to give up a part of your organ to help somebody else. Um, Okay, well, let's see. We can check the mailbag next, I suppose. First question. Do you believe in any conspiracy theories? If so, which ones? Well, um, I guess I do believe in a few. Um, Some are conspiracy facts. For instance... There was an operation where the um, intelligence agencies were, um, I guess, directly feeding stuff through the through the media. I forget the name of that operation. But I bet you if you just typed that much into Google, you could find it. That's all declassified. There was that other time where the CIA was um, selling crack cocaine into low-income neighborhoods. So that's a conspiracy fact. Um, but here's a conspiracy theory that, that I'll say that I believe in. Um, None of the major ones, no lizard people, nothing like that. Instead, I don't believe asbestos is actually that bad for you. And I mean this. I'm totally serious. Here's why I think it's a conspiracy theory. Um, We basically led the global charge in banning asbestos. And when we did was pretty suspicious. We did it in the height of the Cold War. Any guesses what the number one manufacturer in the world was of of asbestos? It was the Soviet Union. That was a massive export. That was one of their biggest exports. Before that, it was viewed as this amazing wonder material, and it is. It's pretty awesome. It's fire retardant. It has awesome insulation properties. It's uh, resistant to rot. It's wonderful. Asbestos is just a fantastic product. However, if you aerosolize it and then you breathe it in, yeah, I suppose it does have sharp concoidal fractures which can damage your, what, or ev- ev- Whatever those things are called in your lungs. But here's the thing. What do we pre- replace it with? Again, you always have to ask the question, compared to what? And in this case, it's rock wool and uh, fiberglass. I assure you, if you're using fiberglass insulation and you breathe some in, and you will, then you're breathing glass shards into your lungs. That will be exactly as damaging as asbestos. I promise you. So, I mean, it was made into shingles. It was made into all sorts of things. I don't think most people breathe in their ceiling tiles or their shingles. Um, Nevertheless, we got it banned. And we went on this huge campaign about how it's so terrible. And it was basically... Um, The U.S. and I guess a few countries in Europe that got it globally banned. Not that many things are globally banned, especially at the height of the Cold War when your big geopolitical adversary is producing a ton of the stuff for export. So I don't think asbestos is bad for you. Maybe one day people will backtrack on that and admit that, no, it's probably fine in regular usage, but not terribly helpful. Um, If you do have asbestos in your house... Um, don't freak out it's fine all right next question Um, there's a big craze right now to raise chickens in urban and suburban environments is this a good idea should I raise chickens Um, the answer is no they're they're noisy especially if you have a, a rooster they smell bad they take a lot of upkeep if you want to go on a couple week vacation now you have to hire a chicken sitter And um, I don't think you really want to butcher them. I mean, I have participated in such things, and it's a ton of work. Um, It's a lot easier to just go down to your local grocery store. And speaking of that, the eggs are not much better than what you will buy in the store. In fact, you don't have to clean the ones at the store. The ones that you get, eh, they should probably be cleaned. Um, You know, where they came from and then what they dropped into, And they don't taste better than regular eggs. They don't. There's been a number of different tests on this. And it finds that when you keep the lighting the same so that the yolks look similar, um, people can't tell the difference. I know listeners are saying, oh, but I can. Yeah, I'm not so sure. And again, it's kind of subjective. I actually prefer cheap supermarket eggs. I've done a a back-to-back comparison. And listen, I'm a foodie. I eat fancy things from time to time. I like to think that my palate is discerning. But no, regular, conventional chicken eggs from um, from Walmart or Kroger or whatever, they taste fine and they're practically free. So don't go through all that trouble. Um, then you have to bother all your friends. Hey, buy eggs or, oh, have some eggs. You don't want that in your life. You don't want to have to build a coop. Then there's going to be predators eating your chickens, and then you're going to feel like a bad chicken parent or whatever you are. So no, it's a terrible fad, like most fads. Uh, next question. We'll make this the last one. What makes string cheese so stringy and so cheesy? Well, it's cheesy because it's cheese. It's stringy because it's heated to, I think it's 150 degrees. It might be 140 yeah, we'll say 150 degrees, and then it's extruded um, in that shape, then I suppose it's, it's, it's cut. So when you bring cheese or most milk proteins up to that temperature, it begins to uh, denature them. It's kind of like when you cook an egg, wow, we're back to eggs. When you cook an egg, <laughs> um, you're denaturing the proteins. So you're partially, I think, denaturing the proteins when you hold it at 150 for that long. And then when you're extruding it through something, those proteins are then being oriented in the same direction. So it cools, goes in your fridge. When you go to peel stuff off, it's basically all those linked proteins. So that's why it's stringy. Um, great quality questions, as always. Um, if you have a question, send it in to the Gordian Knot 101 at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to answer it in upcoming episodes.